The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by TechTown Detroit, Detroit's entrepreneurship hub. TechTown Detroit is a business incubator and accelerator, helping tech startups and local businesses launch and grow. TechTown supports businesses with co-working, office, meeting, and event space. They also connect entrepreneurs to resources and learning and networking events in Detroit. TechTown Detroit, Detroit's entrepreneurship hub. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad to have you with me today. Coming up on today's program, my friend Steve Leto is going to join me. We're going to revisit a conversation I had with him a little bit ago, uh, several months ago. In fact, almost over, over a year ago now, right before he was about to embark on a great adventure. Now, Steve, of course, is an attorney. He's a historian and an author. He's written over 20 books at this point in time. But this was a unique adventure he was going to do that he previewed on my old program, and I thought that we would catch up with Steve and find out what happened on this journey. Now, that's going to happen early next week. But I wanted to set it up today so you can get an idea of how grand an adventure he was actually planning for himself and for his history buff fans who read the stuff that he loves to write. I am one of those people. So we're going to catch up with Steve early next week. And, of course, tomorrow is Friday, which means we've got business to take care of with the week that was. So we're going to set up Monday's conversation today. Hear about this grand adventure, learn a little bit more about Steve. Should be some fun stuff. So stick around for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for checking out the show on this Thursday. Uh, this is a fun little conversation I'm going to be playing for you in just a couple of minutes. Obviously, I know that the impeachment trial is beginning today. We are going to be on that tomorrow for the week that was. Of course, we'll be on it next week as well as we watch this all go down. We still don't know what form this is going to take. There's a lot that still needs to be worked out, but we will be following it closely. But I figure we have been so politically heavy recently and at each other's throats in all sorts of different ways over the last several months that maybe we'd have a little fun with today's conversation. So one of the frequent guests I've had, going back to my days at WDET, uh, was my friend Steve Leto. Now, he's a lawyer, he's a historian, uh, he's written about 20 books at this point in time, and he loves Michigan history in particular. Now, I had a chance to sit down with him about, oh, oh a little over a year ago to talk about what he was envisioning to be this great trip he was going to take, this wonderful adventure he was going to go on, uh, that follows along the path that Douglas Houghton took when he was discovering the Great Lakes and really getting Michigan on its feet before its days as a state. So we'll hear a little bit from him today, and then he's going to join us next week. It's going to be on Monday's program. We're going to take a look at how that journey actually went. So I don't want to give too much of it away, but I did think it was quite ambitious, and I remembered this conversation. I thought it gave us a little glimpse into Michigan history and a little glimpse into who Steve is. Steve Leto, again, you can find him on YouTube at Leto's Law. He's got a very popular YouTube channel there where he goes over lots of legal stuff, but he's an interesting guy. 
And so I thought I'd rerun this conversation today so we could have a little bit of fun, and then I'll follow it up on Monday, and we'll find out exactly what happened on this incredible journey that he was planning here in our great state of Michigan. So here's my conversation with Steve Leto. This was from 2018 what he was doing. He's also written a book called Michigan's Columbus, The Life of Douglas Houghton. Steve Leto is in the studio to talk a little bit about a journey he's going to take, but welcome, Steve. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's good to be back. You know, you always find interesting stuff to write about, and I'm going to talk about your trip here in just a second, but Douglas Houghton, of course, people know the city of Houghton. They know Houghton Lake, but they don't really know much about what this guy's contribution was to Michigan and our state and the lakes. Tell me about it. That's why I wrote the book, because everyone's heard the name Houghton. But no one really remembers what he did. And, and Douglas Houghton came to Michigan in 1831 or 1830, uh, but he went on expeditions to find the headwaters of the Mississippi with Henry Schoolcraft, where they literally took canoes from Detroit to Sault Ste. Marie to Duluth and up you know, into the mountains. You know, crazy. Uh, but then later on, he became the first state geologist. Uh, he explored the entire state, uh, top, up, you know, lower peninsula, upper, upper peninsula. Uh, he was a geologist. He was also a medical doctor. They called him the little doctor. He treated people uh, in Detroit for things like cholera and things that happened back then. But he's also the mayor of Detroit. He was also a professor at the University of Michigan. I mean, this guy's resume, you know, is mind-boggling. And, and he died at the age of, you know, 36 in 1845, while out exploring, you know, and so you look at all the stuff he accomplished, and it's amazing. And and so I wrote the book because I wanted to explain how important this guy was and why everyone should know more about him. Well, and of course, he was one of the first people really uh, to take a deep dive into the Upper Peninsula, uh, that part of the state. Um, well, obviously, besides the people that were already living yeah, there, I don't yeah. ever want to leave them out. But I mean, he really did uh, do a lot of mapping and things like that up there, and really taking a look and and. and one of the few people, I think, that appreciated the resources that existed up there. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. Because it was like thought of as throwaway territory yeah, for Houghton a while. Yeah, Houghton didn't discover the copper in the UP, and no. I'm, I'm very careful to let people know that because, you know, the natives knew the copper had been there for thousands of years. You know, but, but Houghton, when he went up there, he was a geologist, and he studied the area. He took samples, and he said, here are the samples I got. Here's where I found them, and here's what it's going to take to make an industry up here. And he wrote that report of 1841, gave it to the state legislature in, you know, in Michigan, and then immediately guys took it out east and found financiers who'd put the money up to create the infrastructure to mine. And they wouldn't have done that without an authoritative report by somebody like Houghton. So Houghton is the one who's credited correctly with causing the first mineral rush in America. It predated the, the gold rush in California by a few years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, there were... There were times back then, like Duluth thought it was going to be the largest city in America at one time. You know? I mean, Marquette thought it was going to grow. And you yeah. had all these boom towns up yeah. there as a result of that uh, that obviously didn't last very long. Yeah. Uh, but there really was this notion that this part of the country was going to be the next big thing outside of New York. Right. But if you look at Duluth what, thought it was going to be bigger than Chicago. Yeah. If you look at Detroit though, in 1830 when Houghton stepped off the boat for the first time, the population was 2,000. But it was the gateway to this whole territory. Michigan was a territory. It wasn't a state. Yet. Yeah. So I like to tell people, by the way, the headwaters of the Mississippi were in Michigan at that time. The, the, they didn't move, but the borders moved because the Michigan Territory went as far west as the Dakotas. Yeah. So when he was exploring the area, a lot of it was unmapped, uncharted. People didn't really know what was there. Uh, and he had voyagers, these local guys who would you know, take him around and show him stuff. But, but he was exploring what was literally the edge of the frontier, and it was in Michigan. The edge of the frontier. It's yeah. kind of funny to think about it that way. I mean, it still is pretty pretty rustic and wild up there. It's uh, never quite been tamed, <laughs> but that's okay. Well, Steve, I mean, the reason that, that uh, you reached out to me yesterday, and that was great. I was glad you did, because this is a fascinating journey that you're planning for yourself this summer. You actually are tra- planning to recreate 
this canoe journey. I'm retracing, retracing several several sections, and, and it's not any one particular trip. He actually traveled by canoe or small boat, starting this isn't in the 30s. like Lewis and Clark, yeah, one yeah, extended yeah. journey. Or yeah, anything. but 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 there was a time when Houghton would get in a canoe with like 12 people, a 35 foot long canoe in Detroit, and they'd paddle it up north. And I thought to myself. How long would that take? Uh, a long time, because they're doing like three or four miles an hour. But I always thought, you know, what's interesting is I could get a canoe and do a lot of similar things and see what he saw, okay? And so I, I'm not going to get a 35-foot canoe, and I'm not going to hire six French-Canadian voyagers to paddle for me. <laughs> but I go. bought a 17-foot aluminum canoe, and I bought a five-horsepower motor. Those are my voyagers. <laughs> and I'm going to drop it in the water July 1st in Duluth and take it over to Sault Ste. Marie, about five, 600 miles, and then go through the locks, bring it down, which, by the way, my canoe can go through the locks because it has a motor on it, and then bring it down to Detroit, about 1,200 miles. And it's going to be me and one other person. I can't get anyone to commit to the whole trip. So I've got some volunteers who are going to do a week here, week there. But, uh, you know, back when I first thought of this, I remember I contacted some friends of mine who do outdoorsy stuff. And I said, is this doable? And a couple of them said, absolutely. As long as you're not crazy, you're not going to go shooting rapids anywhere. Stay close to shore. Don't go out in bad weather. But it's doable. So I'm going to do it. Yeah, stay close to shore in a canoe. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, people don't realize how big those waves get up there in Lake Superior yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So, so I mean... When you first thought of doing this, mm -hmm. what, what was the reaction from people? They said it was doable. Did they think you were nuts? Well, everyone I knew— 1,200 miles in a canoe is a long way to go. Yeah, and, and, and what's funny is people start thinking, and they go, wait, you're going to be camping out maybe, uh, stopping in little towns, whatever. I, I say, here's the first thing. I'm sitting on a piece of flat aluminum. Okay, there's not a seat in the back of the canoe. It's a flat piece of aluminum about the size of a small airline seat. I'm going to be sitting in that for six or eight weeks. That's the hardship. The hardship's not going to be, you know, getting splashed by water or, you know, coming ashore and trying to find something to eat. The real hardship's going to be sitting on that flat piece of aluminum. Yeah, there, 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 are, there are more comfortable boats out there. There are, but, but you there know. There have to be something genuine about it? I mean, is that, is that yeah, the idea? The canoe, I think, will get me the same vantage point. Yeah. So Houghton, when he was traveling by the pictured rocks, for instance, he was in a canoe. So you can, in a canoe, go right up to them and touch them, which you can't do in a larger boat. And so I really wanted to get the same perspective. I'm, I'm, you know, my eyes will be, you know, two, three feet above the water. And I'll be going along three, four, five miles an hour, which is pretty much the same vantage point that Houghton had. But I'll get to see what Houghton saw. But I'll also, because I, I've read his journals, I've read the journals of the people who are on the trips with him, I can compare what they saw with what I'm seeing. So some things haven't changed much. The pictured rocks haven't changed much. Saginaw Bay has changed a lot. Sure. You know, and so that's going to be the real interesting thing is comparing and contrasting what it was like in the 1830s or 1840s and what it's like today. Steve Leto, my guest right now, of course. So he's the author of Michigan's Columbus, The Life of Douglas Houghton. And, of course, uh, that's the inspiration for this canoe journey he's going to be taking <laughs> over the course of six weeks. Um, so, so talk a little bit about what you do with the material that you get. What are you planning to do with it? Well, I'm going to be filming this myself. I'll have yeah. GoPro cameras, my own camera, and so on. But I also have a film crew that's going to be following me. I talked to some guys. I've actually helped uh, a couple of guys who made documentaries. And one of them said, hey, why don't we film your canoe trip? And I said, if you, if you think somebody wants to watch that, go right ahead. So there will be a film crew following me, at least in portions of the trip. So hopefully there will be a documentary about this down the road. But I'm going to write a book about it. So I'm going to actually write a, a – a, it's a road book, but instead of a road, it's, it's the water. But hopefully sometime next year I'll have a book coming out about my experience exploring the shorelines of Michigan. Well, and obviously you're very prolific, uh, so you won't have any trouble getting, <laughs> getting the book part done. But I will say this about the documentary, the success is in the editing. Yes. Um, because, yes. you know, the one thing that, that you – you just know is going to be the case. I mean, it's this is a beautiful state, mm -hmm. and most people never get to see it from the water. Right. Um, and that's a vantage point that I think really 
Yeah, if, if you're looking out at the lake, that's one thing. But when you're on the lake looking back at the shore, especially in a place like Pictured Rocks, especially if you're going through, you know, places like Duluth. I mean, people don't see what how beautiful it is up there. Well, and, you know, I've been to Copper Harbor, for instance, mm-hmm. a hundred times in my life. It's the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula. It's the northernmost point in Michigan. And I've been there hundreds of times. And I went there this past summer and I brought my canoe in one of the little experimental trips I took. And I was out in Copper Harbor in my canoe looking back going, I've never seen it this way before. And it looks so different. And you know, the world changes. You know, it's like flying in a low-flying airplane over the countryside. It mm-hmm. looks different than if you drive through it. Well, it turns out if you take a canoe along the shoreline, it looks different also. And you see things, you know, you know, 15 feet of water, but the crystal clear, glassy, smooth Lake Superior where you can look right down to the bottom. It's, it, you know, it's one thing to tell people the water's clean and clear and cold. It's another to look through it and see the bottom at 15 feet and go, wow, that's, that hasn't changed. Now, you have obviously tested out this canoe already, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to be prepared for being pretty uncomfortable for a while. I mean, you know, and, and so it's going to take a physical toll on you. Well, you know, I, I, I like to tell people I can't really train for the canoe trip other than just going out and canoeing. But I actually run marathons. I've actually run 15 full-length marathons. I'll run the Free Press Marathon this fall. I ran it last year. So I do a lot of endurance running and biking and things like that. So my cardiovascular conditioning is pretty good, Mm -hmm. but a lot of what's going on in the canoe is actually more, I hate to use the example again, but it's more like the things you fight in a long flight Yeah, where you're sitting there going, oh my God, my my legs are going numb. Standing up in a canoe is not a good idea. (laughs) But I will tell people I got outriggers for it. So they make outriggers for a canoe. So they, 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 they slide in or they slide out, but they have little pontoons on them. And with those on, the canoe stable. is extremely stable. I was going to say, you got to worry about like blood clots and things like that, you know? Yeah, well, you know, but the good thing is with the canoe, you can land it almost anywhere. So if, if we start getting, you know, cramped up, pull ashore, stretch our legs. Well, how do you plan for a trip like this, though? I mean, obviously, you're going to be in some pretty remote places. It's not like there's a, you know, a holiday inn uh, every place you're going to be stopping. Uh, camping going on? Is it hotels? How do, you, how do you do that? A lot of camping and a lot of hotels. Um, nowadays, camping equipment has changed since I was a kid when they had these big canvas oh, circus yeah. tents that took a station wagon to haul. You can buy a thing about, you know, yay big, the size of like a, 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 a big coffee mug that's actually a tent, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I've been doing a lot of using modern technology, looking at Google Earth images of the beaches at the biggest resolution you can get. And I've actually made a, a, a chart of the entire trip where I know where all the road ends are, where all the marinas are, where all the towns are, and every single thing. And it's amazing. There's a few stretches where there won't be a whole lot where I can get help from people and so on like that. But as far as finding a place to pull ashore and set up a tent, the entire Upper Peninsula is fair game, basically. Yeah. You know, and then the Lower Peninsula, it's hit or miss. But, but you know, the canoe will get about 120 miles with the fuel on board, and it, it can do 10 miles an hour in a pinch. So I, I can usually, I'm hoping look around for a nice place to land, pull ashore, and set up a tent well, if necessary. And, and obviously, um, you know, with technology now, you can find out if there's any storms coming. I mean, oh, yeah. You're going to yeah. be able to keep ahead of that stuff. The satellite, handheld, radio, GPS combination unit they've got now, which will allow you to send and receive texts through satellites, but also constant weather updates. So I, I have a lot of advantages that Houghton didn't have. Houghton had guys on board who understood how to read the weather signs, mm-hmm. Voyagers, and, and, and those guys were very, very helpful. But I don't think they could trump you know somebody who's got access to satellite imagery and NOAA weather radio. <laughs> now, are there any places you're going to have to portage? Well, uh, the question was the Sioux Locks. 
but the Sioux locks will allow a vehicle through as long as it's got a motor on it. So according to their own rules, I can go through the Sioux locks. And I've seen images of people taking very small motorized boats through the Sioux locks. So That's going to be quite the adventure. The biggest concern I have, and this is, requires a little bit of thought to figure this out, but the farthest from land I have to go is when I cross from the Upper Peninsula to the Lower Peninsula. I'm going to come around to the Straits mm-hmm. and go underneath the bridge because that's about three and a half, four miles right there. So I'll, be, by necessity, be two miles from shore on one side or the other. I've got to cross that. So I'll probably see if I can find somebody with a boat who can escort me, just in case. That's a good idea. But that's the furthest I have to get, probably the deepest water I cover. So when are you leaving? July 1st, going in the water at Duluth. And you will be done coming out of the water? Whenever I get there, based on the weather. <laughs> well, <laughs> Six Steve, or eight weeks. I'm telling you, I'm jealous. Uh, it's, uh, it sounds like an amazing, amazing trip and the adventure of a lifetime kind of a thing. I'm thinking it will be. Well, I appreciate you being with us. Steve Leto, my guest. And, of course, your books can be found just about anywhere books are sold. Yes. And yes. Uh, if you like Michigan history, you like automotive history, Steve's done some really remarkable work over the years, and uh, I always enjoy having you on, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Again, we will catch up with Steve Leto again on Monday. Steve Leto, an attorney, author, historian, fun guest to have on this program. All I know, and this is what I'm going to tell you right now, is the journey didn't go quite as planned. He is actually working on a book about what happened on that canoe journey around the lakes. I'm not going to give it away today. I'm not quite sure it went exactly how we wanted, but you'll find out a little bit more. So make sure you tune in on Monday. It'll be a fun conversation with him. It always is. One of my favorite guests to have on this program, and it's nice to hear from him. And nice to hear from you. I've been getting a lot of good email from you lately. The numbers are going in the right direction. We're getting lots of plays, lots of people sharing our stuff. I certainly do appreciate it. Send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. You can also find me on just about every social media channel there is, so you can send me messages that way. And in fact, you can text me. You can text and, you know, just put in thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com into your text field. And that way, if you're out there mobile listening and you want to comment on something, you can do that. I'll see it and I can respond. And one last thing I would like to say, and that's a thank you to everybody that helped vote me into the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts Hall of Fame. That was a big deal. I was there back in the early 1990s, 1992, and um, it made a huge difference for me. Uh, It got me in at WDET. It got my radio career started, and without it, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. And I'm one of those fortunate people uh, that basically gets paid to do stuff that he really, really likes. I'm lucky in that regard. Now, I may not be getting rich doing this, but at the same time, I can't imagine doing anything else. And I'm thankful, thankful that you have chosen to listen, that you've chosen to support this. It means a great deal, and uh, that little feather in the cap is kind of a big deal. It's nice to be... Uh, it's nice to be appreciated by your peers. It really is. And it's been uh, my pleasure to be doing this as long as I have. I'm very fortunate. And thank you all for your support and your continued listening. It's a huge deal. All right, tomorrow is Friday. The week that was is going to be on tomorrow's program. Still finalizing our special guest for tomorrow, but you can guess it will be heavy on impeachment and everything else with all the new developments that are taking place around that. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you all tomorrow. We'll be live on Facebook with that probably around 11.30 a.m. That sometimes gets tweaked a little bit. But um, if you can't watch it live, don't worry. We put it on YouTube on DeadlineDetroit.com. We also uh, will make it available as a podcast. That's what I like to do. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. 
That's Mad Dog Professional Services.